Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 20, where this is the third in our four-part series, Appointed for Me is the title of the series. We're looking at God's plan for our lives, how that plan carries out in our lives, and how we can live in joy, uh, live God's plan in joy in our lives. And the title of the study or the message today is God Lives in me. How many of you, and there are some of you who have, how many of you have ever seen with your eyes Fall Creek Falls, Tennessee? Would you raise your hand? You've seen with your eyes. Keep them up. Fall Creek Falls, Tennessee. Beautiful, beautiful place. Thank you. Fall Creek Falls is in Crossville, Tennessee. And as a teenager, I used to go there with some of my friends and we would spend the whole day at Fall Creek Falls. Now, Fall Creek Falls, as you can see, is a very narrow and a tall uh, waterfall. At the time, uh, or when I was a teenager, we had total access uh, to the falls. That is, we could walk across the top of the falls, literally could up there where the water is, is falling from, we could walk across the top, and we did that. We had full access to be up under the falls and watch the fall uh, drop in front of us, <clears throat> and uh, we uh, did that. We could, there were places where you could jump into the water, but not <clears throat> from the top of the falls. If you jump from the top of the falls, there are several ledges that would kill you before you got to the water. But <clears throat> we uh, were able to find other places <clears throat> excuse me, where we could <clears throat> jump into the falls, and <clears throat> we did. And all of, the, uh, all of the cool kids uh, did that, and, and those of us who weren't cool did it uh, out of intimida- intimidation to try <clears throat> and be cool. Here's the thing. When you would jump into that waterfall or you would jump into the, the pool at the bottom of the waterfall, there were two things. One was the water was extremely cold, and so you <clears throat> took your, your hands in your own life that your heart might stop when it hit <clears throat> the icy water at the bottom of the falls. And the other thing is, you didn't know how deep it was where you were jumping. So, you know, you ran two risks of jumping in, having your heart stop, or of going down and not coming back up. That being said, when you jumped in, your heart didn't stop, and you popped back to the top, then you were invigorated because you had done something only the cool kids do. You had jumped in, and now you were part of the group. It's scary. It's scary, but when you took the jump and came out, you were glad that you did. Now, I said all that to say this. It can be scary to take steps of faith in our lives. It can be very frightening. We're wondering, will our world come to an end? We're wondering, will I ever recover? However, when we jump into the middle of God's will for our lives, we are refreshed. We are invigorated by the reality that we have finally, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> by the way, how many of you, your, your cars have already started turning yellow a little bit? <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> welcome spring uh, <clears throat> in Tallahassee. <clears throat> You're invigorated by the fact that you've finally done what you know that you should have done for a long time, and you're finally living a life that is pleasing to God and walking into in the paths that are directed by Him. Now, here's what we want to know. We want to know that we're living 
by God's divine appointments in our lives. Sometimes we can recognize them. Sometimes they're very obvious. This is a divine appointment from the Lord. There's no question that this is a divine appointment for the Lord. Things may have not gone the way that I anticipated them going, but I know that this is what God has appointed for me. In the midst of all of his trials and troubles, uh, Job was, was hearing some things from his friends that were not so encouraging, and he stopped them in the midst of their uh, their talks, and he said in verse 14 of Job 23, for he will complete <clears throat> what he appoints for me. And what he was saying is, even though it's a detour, even though it's a tragedy, even though it's a terrible thing, I know that <clears throat> God is working in me, and God will finish whatever it is that he has started in me. Now, the way to live <clears throat> for God is to have God alive in you to have the sense that God really is living in you. Now, when we are born again, the presence of God is in our lives. It's in our very being. However, living apart from God's appointments is to subdue the power of God in your life. God may be living in you in the person of Jesus Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit, but are you alive to Him? In writing to the Galatians, Paul had a very clear understanding of what it meant to live for Jesus and to have Jesus living in him. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now we're going to return to that verse near the end of the message, but I want you to think about that for just a little bit. What does it mean to have Jesus alive in your life? One of the best ways to explain what it means to be saved is to believe that Jesus is living in your heart. We tell our children when they need to be saved the importance of having Jesus live in their heart. You want Jesus to live in your heart. And then we hope that they come to a place somewhere along the way where they have an understanding of what it means to have Jesus living in your heart. Now, I think that'd be a good question for us here today. Do we know what that means, to have Jesus alive or living in our hearts? Well, the first thing that I think we should understand is that Jesus lives within us by invitation. That's how Jesus comes in to live in our lives, to live in our hearts. That's how we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, by inviting Jesus Christ into our hearts. Our relationship with Christ and His leadership in our lives begins with an invitation. However, it's His invitation. He initiates the invitation. Probably the best verse to illustrate the invitation, at least to visualize the invitation, though we'll see in a few moments that it means more than what we're speaking of now, is Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Here's what the Word says as Jesus stands at the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in uh, to him and eat with him and he with me. Now, while the hand of God is strong and the sovereignty of God is unquestionable, The way of God is to give us the opportunity to respond to Him. He gives you and me the opportunity to respond to Him. 
That's what we Baptists call and others call a free will. We have a free will to respond to God in the way that he intends for us to, to respond. Now, a lot of times at invitation time in a church, we'll sing, I surrender all. But I heard somebody say one time, and it's a very <clears throat> good point, that there's a difference between being surrendered and being yielded. Surrender comes after a time of struggle. Yielding means that I <clears throat> willingly have laid down my options and, and am uh, servant to the options that you uh, give to me, uh, Lord, that the Lord gives to us. So yielding is to <clears throat> offer ourselves without <clears throat> resistance, and that is better. Now, the picture of Jesus standing at the door and knocking places someone on the other side of the door. Who is that someone? Well, it's you, and it's me. <clears throat> we are the ones who are hearing Jesus knock at the door. The knocks, <clears throat> he knocks with the expectation that we will answer and we will respond positively to his invitation. Now, I want you to think about three areas in your life and mine where Jesus is knocking at the door. He is <clears throat> at the door, and you can hear him knocking at the door of your heart, or you can sense him knocking. First of all, <clears throat> he knocks at the door of our heart in areas of faith. Our faith finds Jesus knocking at our door saying, have faith in me. Everyone has faith in something, and everyone has faith in someone. Uh, worldly people have faith in the world. Uh, people who love money have faith in money. Those who aspire to power have faith in power, or, or they, they can have faith in power. Uh, there's the, <clears throat> the faith that people have in education. There's faith that people have in status. There's faith that people have in, in politics and, and so on. We all <clears throat> have faith in something. Now, Jesus stands at the door of our lives wanting us <clears throat> to bring him into our faith. In fact, he wants to be the center. He wants to be the very hub <clears throat> of our faith. I received a phone call several weeks ago from my youngest son, and that's him with his wife. That's Paul and, <clears throat> and Lindsay. And uh, Paul was sharing with me, and, and rather excited about it, <clears throat> sharing with me something that his pastor had explained uh, <clears throat> earlier uh, regarding having Jesus in our lives. Now, Paul goes to a really good church. His pastor's name, I've never heard a pastor name this. His pastor's name is Spike. That's his name, Spike. And they refer to him as Spike or Pastor Spike. I've never heard Spike before, but Spike's a pretty good preacher. I've been there. So anyway, uh, Spike had explained how having faith in our lives should work and how having Jesus uh, at, as the priority in our lives should work. And here's what he, uh, Spike said. He said, most people give Jesus high priority in their lives. Some people will give Jesus the number one priority in their lives. If you ask them, what's the priority of your life? They'll say, well, first it's my faith in Jesus Christ, and then it's my family. <clears throat> and they'll go down the list, and we'll shake our heads, and we'll say, yep, that's the way that it ought to be. Then his pastor went on to explain something. He said, <clears throat> the goal is really not to have Jesus number one in your life. And everybody perked up when they <clears throat> heard that, including my son Paul. 
He said, the goal is not to have Jesus number one in your life. He wants to be the center of everything in your life. He wants to be the center of your life. He wants uh, to be your whole world. He wants everything to revolve around him and your life. And Paul was so excited about that. And I was thrilled. I was thrilled that he had listened so closely uh, to what his pastor had said. I just wish he had listened when he was like 13 and 14 when I was preaching this every single Sunday when he sat in church. But he's absolutely right. Jesus Christ does not need to occupy the number one place. He needs to occupy center place. Is If Jesus is the center of your faith, then he is the hub to which all other spokes of your life are attached. He is the focal point around which everything else resolves. And that's what it means to have Jesus alive in you, is to have him as the focal point of every aspect of your faith. Now, here's the question. Do you have more faith in Jesus than you do in anything or anyone else? We often weigh uh, decisions by how it will impact other areas of our lives. We'll weigh our decisions by how it impacts our finances. We weigh our decisions by how it impacts our career and, <clears throat> and other areas. Here's the question. Do you weigh the decisions of your life by how they will impact Jesus in your life? Do you weigh <clears throat> the decisions like that? By, by invitation, we place our faith in Jesus Christ. He invites us to do so, but he wants to be the center of our lives. He wants our lives to evolve or to revolve <clears throat> around him. He wants to be our hub of life, and that is by invitation. <clears throat> that is a decision that we make. It's a matter by invitation of inviting Jesus Christ to be the hub of our faith. Also, to be the hub of our family, to be the very center of our family. Now, <clears throat> you've heard this said more than once. You can't take it with you, meaning when somebody passes away, they can't take uh, their, their bank accounts, they can't take their cars, they can't take the things that have been accumulated <clears throat> in this life. All of the valuables of our lives uh, will go away with the exception of one. There is one valuable in life that we can take with us, and that is when we take our families to heaven with us, when we train our children uh, in the way that they should go and train them to make Jesus the center of their lives, we are training the generation to answer the door when Jesus comes knocking. And Jesus, we can, we can train our, our children to keep Jesus at the center of their lives by having Jesus at the center of our family. In a day when there are so many distractions in family life, responding to Jesus uh, is more important than ever. With our children being raised on the stage of, quite honestly, immorality and gender neutrality and all of these things, having Jesus in the center of our lives is an absolute necessity. So by invitation, we put Jesus in the center of our life by faith. We put Jesus in the center of our lives in our family. And we should put Jesus in the center of our fellowship. Now, let's go back again to our text. 
This is a fellowship text, actually, in Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, the specific interpretation of this verse assumes that Jesus has already been invited into our lives. And Jesus wants to have fellowship. He wants to be invited into our fellowship. Now, how is Jesus invited into the fellowship of your life? I'm not asking if you believe in him as your Lord and Savior. I'm hoping that you do. I'm asking, how do you invite him into your fellowship? Well, let me give you a few areas, and I think they ought to be obvious, first of all. We are in fellowship with God when we're in the house of God. Now, you came to God's house today. I'm glad that you did. I'm glad that you're in God's house today. I couldn't be happier that, that you're in God's house today. I'm so happy that you're here. But understand that when you came here, your purpose should have been more than to just go to church. It should have been more than just to hear Pastor Ray preach. It should have been more than to uh, see your friends, hear the music, whatever, uh, participate in the music, whatever it may be. Your, your focus should have been to have fellowship with God, to come in and hear from God, to worship Him, to have fellowship with Him. We're talking about how you have fellowship with God. The way that we have fellowship with God is by inviting Him in and, and worshiping Him in the house of God. We have fellowship in prayer. We have fellowship in meditation. We have fellowship in music. I, I'm, uh, I, I love the praise songs that we sing, and of all of the praise songs that we sing, the Revelation song is my favorite song. And I saw several of you as, as you were singing. You, I'm left-handed, so I raised my left hand. You probably raised your right. You, you raised your hand uh, to the Lord as, as you were singing. Now, here's the way that I take that. You're, having, you're praising the Lord and having fellowship with Him. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It's a very good thing to have fellowship with the Lord. You, you don't think that, that when we're in the presence of God in heaven, that we will not be demonstrative in our fellowship? We certainly will be. And, and we have fellowship with God in, in music, and we have fellowship in meditation. We <clears throat> fellowship uh, with God when we do, as we suggested earlier, uh, place Him at the very hub of all that we do. For years, the question was, what would Jesus do? But the real question is, Jesus, what should I do? You're at the center of my fellowship. You're at the center of all that I am. What should I do, Jesus? And could I tell you that oftentimes you'll be led of the Lord in an area that you should do because He is leading you to say or do or be a certain person or or do a certain thing. And at those times, you're having fellowship with Him when you hear Him knocking and answer the door in obedience. The life that is appointed for me begins to take shape when Jesus is living in me, when he's living in my faith and he's living in my family and he's living in my fellowship. Now, once that invitation comes, then there is this. There's invitation, then there's indwelling, indwelling us. Now, it's, you say, isn't that what we've been talking about? Yes, but I want to clarify it a little bit. Inviting Jesus into our lives means that we have his indwelling spirit within us. Having the Holy Spirit is not an addition to our Christian life. It is part of our Christian uh, life. It is vital to our being a Christian. 
the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, here's what that means. It means that as believers, we are authentic. We are for real. If you have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling in your life, then you are for real. Romans 8 and verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ uh, does not belong to Him. Now, I realize that there are uh, some faiths, some Christian faiths, evangelical faiths, that believe that the presence or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a second invitation, that you get saved and then later on you invite the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you. That is not what the book of Romans teaches. The book of Romans says, if you do not have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you are not a Christian. You are not saved. You are not a believer if the Holy Spirit of God is not dwelling in you. So what does that mean? That means that if you get saved upon your salvation, the Holy Spirit of God indwells your life. And have you ever heard this? The Bible says, by their fruits you shall know them. What is the fruit of? The fruit of having the Holy Spirit indwell you. How can you know that uh, the Holy Spirit indwells you? Well, when you receive Jesus Christ, according to Romans 8, 9, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is within you. When the Holy Spirit is within you, you live a life that is authentic. Not only that, you live a life that is alive. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Living the cautious Christian life in fear of losing the joys of real life is to misunderstand the intentions of God. God does not intend to rob you of joyous life, of happy life. Now, I will say this, and I've got to be very frank. There are a lot of believers today who are a bad advertisement for joy in Jesus. There are a lot of believers today who, who somehow or another, they have no joy in their life, but they're very vocal about, about God in their lives. And so people just assume that God's the one that put the sour look on their face, that God's the one that caused them to be unhappy, that God's the one that caused them to never laugh at anything that God's the one that calls them never have any fun. And, and, and so I don't want to have God in my life because I'm afraid if I have God in my life, then I'm not going to have any, any fun at all. Look, that's not the way that the Lord intended for us to live. The, the Bible says that He came to give us life and have it more abundantly. That means He wants to multiply your life. He wants you to be happier. He wants you to love the life that He has given you and to live it even fuller than you may be living it before. Now, there are a lot of people who think they're having fun in life, but at the end of their fun, they feel guilty and unhappy about it. Could, could I tell you something? Listen very carefully to me. If, if you come to this, have come to this service today, and, and you find the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life today, and, and you rejoiced in the singing of the music, and, and you, this, this preaching is just absolutely hitting you right where you live, and you say, this is the kind of life that I want to live. I want to be alive in Jesus Christ. I don't want to be a bad advertisement. I want to be happy about my faith in Christ, and I want others to be happy to join me in faith and to have faith in Jesus Christ. If, l- l- listen very carefully to me. If you do that, 
I can assure you that walking out this door after you've had this wonderful experience and, and, and saying amen and raising your hand and, and having tears of joy and enjoying the fellowship of God's people, you don't walk out and get in the car and say, oh, I feel so guilty. Why did I do that? Oh, man. I'm going to have to drink some coffee or something sober up. I feel so bad. Man, I shouldn't have done that. I don't know. Could you drive for me? I'm afraid that I, I, don't, I ought not be driving under this, in this influence. There is no guilt in the being alive in Jesus. There's no guilt with that. There's a lot of other, thing that we think, uh, other things in life that we think are joy that when we come to the end of it, the next day we say, why did I do that? How did that happen? That can't happen again. But it's not like that when Jesus is alive in you and he is the hub, the very center of who you are. It is safe to say that anyone who is living less than a full life in Jesus Christ, they are not appreciating the fullness of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is true in our lives. We are to enjoy our lives and to live them authentically and to be alive and to have an allegiance to Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. <clears throat> Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Or <clears throat> do you not know <clears throat> that your body is the temple <clears throat> of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. This is to live in dedication to God. The fact that we are the, in <clears throat> the indwelling place, the temple is of God, is to acknowledge that everywhere we go, He goes, so we're allegiant to Him. All that we do <clears throat> involves Him. In light of this, who are we and how are we supposed to live? Well, 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you're bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Now, all of this is to say that the life of the indwelling Holy Spirit takes us in the ways appointed for us and causes us to be alive in Jesus Christ. There's one more thing in the matter of the indwelling of the Spirit, and that is to be anointed by the Spirit. Years ago, I preached a message. I still like it. I ought to revive it and preach it again. But, but the title of the message was, If God's Still Anointing, I Want to Be Anointed. That was the title of the message. Do you know the anointing on our lives is a powerful part of the Christian life? 1 John two twenty seven. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you. <clears throat> and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. You don't hear people talk about someone being anointed. I, I remember years ago I was sitting, and I can tell you exactly who this lady was, and I can tell you exactly where we were sitting. I was sitting at a basketball game, <clears throat> an NFC basketball game, and she came up to me, and, and she sat down beside me, and she, she turned to the side, and she looked at me, and, and I believe she placed her hand on my shoulder, and, and she had just 
been with us in a service and, and, and so on. And, and she looked at me and she said, Pastor Ray, I want you to know that you are anointed of God. Now, I want to say something to you. That had an impact on me. It really did. I'd never had anybody walk up and say that to me, just out of the clear blue, just say it. <clears throat> but I, I want to be anointed of God, don't you? I want to know that God's hand is on my life. God's blessing is on my life. I want to know that, that I am doing the will of God and living the will of God in a way that would please him. I want to be alive in Jesus and have Jesus alive in me. I want to be, and every one of us should want that. That's not just a preacher thing. That's a people thing. That's a believer thing. We should all want that in our lives. We're talking about Jesus living in us, in this life appointed for us. That means there's an invitation. That means there's an indwelling. And finally, there's an inspiring. Earlier, I promised you that we'd return to our text, Galatians 2.20. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, can you imagine being so one with Christ that you actually say, I'm not living this life. This life doesn't belong to me. This life belongs to Jesus. Now, that's just the opposite from all that the world teaches. In the 60s, and I can't remember who sang it, uh, probably a group that I shouldn't mention their name, but in the 60s, there there was a song. (laughs) Richard, you'll probably know this. It, it, It was, they sang, it's my life and I'll do what I want. Was that Mick that uh, sang that? I think it might have been. Yeah, I think it was. Okay, we won't mention that. It was a Rolling Stones, okay? Uh, that's, that's who it was, and they're still rolling along. How they are, I do not know. I can tell you they should be seized up on the side of the road right now. But our lives belong to Jesus. If God paid a visit to you this afternoon and asked you what kind of life you were living, what would you say to him? I'm living a pretty good life. I'm, I'm just trying to, be, trying to be something, you know, respectable. I'm trying to be a good citizen, live in the community well. That's really not the answer that he wants. He wants the answer to this. My life is your life. My life is in you. You're the center of it. The decisions I made yesterday were because of you at the center. The decisions that I'll make tomorrow and next week and for my life and 10 years from now, Lord, I still want them to be decisions that are centered on you because you have appointments for me. I want to be centered on you that I do not miss a single appointment. Let me close with this quick story. Albert Pujols of the Los Angeles Angels, formerly the St. Louis Cardinals. He is a a World Series champion. He's an eight-time All-Star. He is the recipient of three national MVP awards. And he is said to be, at one time, maybe still is, the most feared hitter in baseball by pitchers. They're afraid to pitch to him. 
more importantly than any of that, he is a passionate disciple of Jesus Christ. While speaking at an event at uh, Lafayette Senior High School in Missouri, Pujols told the audience of men and, and boys this, quoting Pujols, as a Christian, I am called to live a holy life. My standard for living is set by God, not by the world. I am responsible for growing and sharing the gospel. And then after reading Paul's words in Philippians 2-3, he went on to say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Pujols told the crowd, one way for me to stay satisfied in Jesus is for me to stay humble. Humility is getting on your knees and staying in God's will. What he wants for me, not what the world wants, but what he wants for me. It would be easy to go out and do whatever I want to do. But those things only satisfy my flesh and just for a moment. Jesus satisfies my soul forever. Pujols was a close friend to someone that we supported in the ministry for a long time. His name was Ron Bishop. Ron is with the Lord now. And he and Albert Pujols were very close friends. And Ron shared with me how deeply Pujols believed that his life was just Jesus living in him. And for the believer, that is God's appointment for you to live every day in the presence of and with the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. So my challenge to you today as we begin this time for communion, my challenge is that you will, with everything that's in you, strive to keep Jesus Christ at the hub of all that you are and all that you do for all of your life.